Welcome to the podcast, Life Lessons from Travels Off the Beaten Path. Hi, my name is Justine Murray, and I'm also known as Lighter Step Justine, as we strive to step lightly across the earth and only leave footprints. This podcast is about the life lessons I've learned as a traveler, particularly when I decided to step off the beaten path. Mostly this occurred in the non-digital era when there was no internet or mobile phones. My sometimes bizarre and always unforgettable adventures around the globe, often as a solo woman traveller, gave me great insight into living a fulfilled life, blessed with all my senses, to enjoy the wonders the world has to offer. From wildlife encounters, to midnight crashes, to dodging stalkers and trekking with tribes, to travelling with a child and around work commitments. I will entertain you with my stories and what each adventure has taught me, along with some general travel and life wisdom along the way. I also will be bringing in other travellers who can captivate us with their own travel stories and the life lessons they have learned. So tune in to me each week and let's get entertained with travel. Okay, we're going to pick up the overland story uh, through Africa. Uh, we were going through Mali and I just visited the Dogon tribe. And so we got back on the truck and we started driving as we were traversing the, the African continent. So we travelled into Burkina Faso uh, to the capital of Ouagadougou, which for us, we, we continually said that uh, the name of the, the capital of the town because it was just such a um, unique African word. Oragadougou, so he spells O-U-A-G-A-D-O-U-G-O-O-U. So, um, and then from there, we were supposed to go into Ghana, <clears throat> but there was a, have a bit, they had a bit of problems with the Ghana and the, uh, we, with the Ivory Coast, and so we, we weren't, there was a bit of conflict happening, so we had to change our plans on the spot. And so instead, we went straight into uh, Togo and into Benin and then into Nigeria. But um, so I just thought for this episode, I'll take you through a typical day on the truck through traveling because most of the time we spent was actually driving every day and we just stop at uh, at towns. Uh, okay, so obviously we, we slept in tents, uh, small tents. They weren't as good as the dome tents we got now. Uh, you had to, still had to use all the poles and um, took a bit longer to put up. But we slept in tents and we'd wake up in the morning and for breakfast we'd have uh, cereal or fruit um, or toast um, over the fire or something like this and uh, or it was just a sandwich. And so that was every morning and we'd have um, tea, coffee or Milo uh, just by boiling the water. No, no fancy coffee here. Uh, and then we'd get in, we'd pack up camp drive until lunchtime, stop again, just stop on the side of the road uh, if we weren't at a town. And we would um, 
uh, stop and make lunch, and lunch was generally a a sandwich, uh, and we had the we had jam and cheese, the bright yellow processed cheese that did not really need refrigeration. Uh, and Marmite, no Vegemite, only Marmite. Uh, and and so we'd have, to, and every every day uh, we were split up into groups of people and every day each group was responsible for uh, either doing all the meal preparation and cooking and another group was responsible for cleaning up after them. So uh, that's how we, we did the long. It was a, obviously very much a uh, participant type uh, traveling. There was no cook that went with us or anything. We had to think about what we needed to cook. And so we'd often stop along the way each day uh, at a, at a um, town and pick up uh, fresh ingredients because we had you know, the rice, we had uh, couscous, we had lots of tins and lentils, but we didn't have any fresh veggies. So we'd always pick up fresh veggies and uh, meat, uh, pick up some sort of meat or eggs or something like that. So uh, each day we'd stop at the town and the group that was responsible for cooking would pick up, um, would go into the town together and uh, and buy the ingredients. We, that's where, where the food kitty came in. So we always had some um, uh, some money to go and buy the ingredients and, and cook. And so, and then we travel again until we got to about four o'clock or so, and we would stop and make up camp. And it was really interesting because every time we'd stop and we'd pull up camp in the middle of West Africa, wherever we were, we would, <laughs> um, pull up in this area off, you know, we're just talking dirt roads here. We'd pull up and get off the road a bit and there'd be no one around, right? Absolutely empty landscape. Within half an hour of us pulling up there, we'd be surrounded by at least 30 to 50 people or come in, they'll all be swinging machetes and because they've, you know, been doing some uh, collecting firewood or just come from the fields and so we'd um we'd be have this audience the whole time and they'd hang around till till dark and then they'd disappear uh and and whoever was making the meals we we had a lot of chili can carne we had a lot of um uh, curries etc because that's always good to kill the microorganisms from the meat that were um, because the meat was never refrigerated, and um, you know, often when you bought it, you know, it's flies and all sorts of things. Anyway, and so um, and and then we'd sit around the campfire for to a certain time and, and go to bed. However, um, often we'd be sitting by the campfire. We've had our dinners and we're just sitting there and we potentially having a few drinks or just you know tea or coffee or whatever, Milo. And we'd hear this drumming in the uh, in the background. And you know what I'm like with the drumming. I've told you before when I was in Senegal, I, I grew to love the African drums. So what I would do, I started to, as soon as I heard the drums start, I would grab someone to come with me and I'd take off into the dark and walk up the road to 
I found the village or, or the track and found the village and uh, and just turn up at the village that was doing the drumming. And every single time I did that, uh, I generally brought a guy with me for a bit of security, but every single time I did that, the villagers were astounded by you know, just turning up in the dark, as you can imagine, and they would, you know, say in their in their French, they all um, unlimited communication skills between the both of us. Um, what are you doing here? We, um, are you lost? Said, no, 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 no. We're just um, we heard the drumming. We come to watch. And so, and they would just go, oh, and invite us in. And suddenly we'd become honoured guests there and we'd sit around to where they were doing the drumming and um, they'd often offer us uh, some sort of beer. It's still a homebrew type beer. It was uh, often quite potent. And, uh, and we'd sit there and spend, you know, a good hour or so just or more, just enjoying the music and enjoying being in this village, having this wonderful time listening to the drums. And then you know, eventually we thought we'd better we'd go back and we would, would, would say our goodbyes and we'd leave and, uh, and go back to the camp. Um, now, I did this throughout the whole of going through West Africa, going and, and I'd hear the drums and I'd follow. Now, most of the people that were on the truck didn't do this. They stayed with the, the truck. Uh, and again, another another risk I know. Um, but oh my gosh, the experiences I got just turning up at these villages and being included in their ceremonies and their uh, you know their joy of of the music and the joy of just being you know this very close knit village and. And they would just invite us in and just let us be part of it. And um, I never felt threatened. I never felt concerned about my welfare. I always just felt these people were genuinely pleased that we showed interest and um, felt, uh, in a way, they felt honoured. I don't know why, but they felt honoured that we would um, turn up just, just to listen to them play. Uh, and I suppose it's a bit like, you know, traveling now with um, people, you know, in the country, the people in the country have got such, are always welcome to visitors and uh, are very friendly and, and open compared to people in the city. And this was very similar to here. Of course, I didn't do this in, in cities. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I saw so many different villages, so many different bits of uh, of people and the way they lived in these countries as they went through just by this little practice of going out after after camp had been set up and just spending a few hours with them. Another part I remember going through West Africa and I thought this was quite unique, I'll never forget it, is because I was, I was sleeping one day, uh, and, obviously one night, and I was down beside the truck and everyone else was around me, either in tents, and I was just in a in a um, in a mosquito net, not in a tent. And I remember waking up, and I had goosebumps, and I was a bit in fear, and I didn't know what it is. And I heard this sound, and and I was like, "What is that sound?" 
and I hadn't heard it before. And I went, actually, that's that's a lion roaring. Now, it's not um, it's not common for lions to be wandering around West Africa as such, unless they're in national parks, because it's quite populated. As I just mentioned earlier, they just turn up out of nowhere. And you know, if you did that in Australia and you turned up in this place um, three days later, you're still by yourself. Whereas in Africa, no, you're surrounded with people. And I was, I'd never heard a lion roar before and I wasn't 100% sure and no one else woke up, but I woke up you know, and I was immediately very aware of what was going on. And anyway, I found out when I heard lions roaring uh, later on in the trip that it actually was exactly the same sound. So I did hear my first lion and it somehow... It woke me up out of a deep sleep, even though I'd never heard it before. I suppose my my um, caveman instincts kicked in. <laughs> I don't know. So, what did I get out of all this? Was oh, when we went through um, Togo, we were halfway through Togo, and uh, they decided to have some conflict with. Um, Benin, and all of a sudden we had we had uh, you know, like what do you call it? Stops every five kilometers along the road, which was quite frustrating. And every five kilometers we had to stop. It was roadblocks, and we had to you know show all our passports and um, and bribe our way through each. So you know, and bribery in in West Africa at the time was quite funny. It was always required possibly a little bit of money, American dollars that is. And um, big pens, they really liked big pens. And these weren't the fancy big pens we've got now. These were just your basic uh, non-gel, non-finger uh, hold, you know, soft finger hold, nothing. Just your basic big pens, you know, your yellow pens. And so we had a heap of these with us and we'll just give them a big pen and they were happy. Uh, so this went on for every five kilometres and uh, and it just shows you how volatile these areas are. They can just happen any moment. Uh, and so my life lessons I got from driving through these countries was, you know, we can go out and when we can travel after COVID, you know, we can go out and we can go on these tours because obviously doing what I was doing uh, as an individual traveller, you have much more con concern about your safety and you have to do a lot of concern, you know, a lot of worry about where you're going to go, how you're going to get there, by what means, etc. Uh, but when you're on these tours, you should try, if you're going to go on a tour, try and pick a tour that gives you that flexibility so that, yes, you're there, you're with the group for safety. Uh, you don't have to worry about, it, you know, organising everything. You know, most things are organised, but it gives you that flexibility on a daily or two daily basis that you can actually 
do some things off the track that's not your standard tourist things and so you can go out so you know from what I did was when I went out to the villages at night to listen to the drums and being included in, in that now I didn't have to do that I could have stayed in by the safety of the truck and uh, still had a good time through Africa but by actually stepping out stepping out of my comfort zone and going to find the drumming and and participate in that drumming was just a unbelievable experience and I my experience through Africa was intensified so much more just by that process of stepping out and pushing the boundaries a bit and you know I was in, as far as safety is concerned you know, I grabbed the mail to come with me so you know I did think about it but uh, often when you're traveling by yourself with only in, or uh, you know if you travel in the group you can it can be quite confronting if you travel by yourself or you're with by yourself or with just one other person uh, people actually go more out of their way to either help you or invite you into into things and um, let you experience things with them and I found this even with a language barrier I couldn't speak French uh, that generally the, the lad I used to go with he couldn't speak much French either so they couldn't speak English and um, we couldn't speak obviously the the native languages and so you know it was difficult to communicate, but we still got by and we still managed to do this. And and so we had the, you know, some of the most wonderful experiences just doing that every single night when we stopped. Uh, about the lion roaring in the distance that woke me up, I I always think about that and think, isn't isn't the mind amazing that we have had no experience of something, but somewhere deep in our genes, and some, sometimes it's stronger in some people than others, but uh, we can sense a danger and become aware of it. And so, I mean, maybe because I was, uh, I've worked with animals a lot and I was much more in tune to animals that I, um, I was able to pick this up uh, and it just it just blew me away because I, I doubted myself for quite a while until I actually heard a, a lion roar in the distance again and realized yes that is exactly what I heard uh, so so it was um, and it wasn't that long after it was only like less than a month afterwards that I heard a, a real lion that I knew that um, that's what I heard and I don't know where the line was it never came out although I was paranoid for the rest of the night I couldn't get back to sleep because I was sleeping on the ground so I think I, I actually went under the truck <laughs> um, just in case but uh, yeah but I didn't see anyone else wake up or anything so you know <laughs> and we all survived the night uh, yeah. so it was um, it was an experience and then driving through 
these smaller countries and you know how they quickly change to become quite you know volatile and and uh, it was nothing at us we were still treated with courtesy because we were uh, not involved but it did make life very inconvenient and I wonder if we didn't have extra money if we didn't have big pens to give how easy would it have got to be able to get through all these checkpoints because uh, there's not as much control of the soldiers and uh, police over there as we would like to think in uh, in our western world and uh, so it was a um definitely an experience each day was even though it was the same routine it was a different scenery uh, and different towns different cultures but they all were uh, you know quite keen to see us as we went through each village and had all the dogs chasing us and all the kids come running out and wave to us and even though we didn't stop at the villages uh, we only stopped at the towns uh, yeah it was um, it was a great experience for this you know back in the um, in 1994 all right I will um, sign off now to the next episode where I'll talk about uh, the journey through Nigeria. Bye. Like always, I want to leave you with a thought to consider. What is your environmental and cultural footprint when you travel? How are you showing up to the country and the culture you are showing up with to make a better interaction for all concerned? Leaving the environment as you found it, Reducing your impact on local resources and cultures to come out with such a positive outlook for both the local population and environment and yourself. Okay, please follow my podcast if you're enjoying what you are hearing and share it to others so they too may be inspired. I will catch you next time.